Welcome to the Entertainment Engine. Welcome to Season 2 of the Entertainment Engine Podcast. I'm Pete Moore. And I'm Bex Gregory. This podcast was created by our company, Seamless Entertainment. We're providing in-depth advice and information for creatives pursuing a career in the entertainment industry. It's a great passion of ours and we're looking forward to sharing our knowledge with you all. Each week we'll be bringing our listeners some great entertainment facts and news mixed in with special guest interviews from seasoned professionals who share their insight and experience of the business. You can listen and subscribe to the podcast on all streaming platforms so you never miss an episode. And what a bonus, it's totally free. And now it's time for us to introduce our next special guest on the show this week, Eileen Shapiro, an iconic journalist who is world-renowned in the realms of music, television and film. Eileen Shapiro has become one of the top celebrity and musical iconic journalists globally. Eileen has interviewed artists including Diana Ross, Annie Lennox, Cindy Lauper, Jennifer Hudson, Mary Wilson, Brooke Shields, Adamant, Leanne Rimes, Boyd George, Emma Stone and Rachel Wise, only to name a small few. She has been published in some of the most prestigious publications such as Louder Than War, a Top 40 Pop Culture, UK Magazine, Huffington Post, Scope, Buzzfeed, Music News, Pop Classic and Indie Source, again only to name just a few. Eileen is also a partner of Worldstar PR, which she co-founded with Jimmy Starr. This interview is definitely one to listen to. Welcome everybody today to the Entertainment Engine, and I have a really special guest, rock journalist all the way from New York, Eileen Shapiro. Eileen, how are you? I'm good, and thank you so much for having me. No, it's an absolute pleasure. And before we get into it, um, how's your weekend been? And, you know, I've got to ask the question about COVID. Have you had your jab yet? Are you okay? Yeah, I, I, it's where I live. I don't know. It wasn't ever really that bad. I live in, um, in like a suburb of New York. But I did have the vaccine because I need to travel. Yeah. And yeah. And right now they opened everything up in New York. You don't even have to wear your mask in stores anymore. So we're good. Oh, that's good. You've been safe and, and well. That's that's good to hear because yep. I think the world, I think we've had enough at the moment. Would you agree? Oh, yeah, totally. I think the UK is opening up a bit more, but we got the Indian variant a little bit at the moment. Yeah, I just heard that. Yeah. Too. You know, I write for Louder Than War and the guy that owns it, John Rob, I said, I'm coming in August. And he said, I don't know if you are. We have the Indian strain. <laughs> yeah. I said, oh, great. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Exactly. So, Tell us a little bit about where you grew up, Eileen, and your journey. You mentioned New York. Was, was you born in New York? Tell us a little bit more about that. I was born and raised in Brooklyn, New York. Yep, and proud of it. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I was born and raised in, in Brooklyn, and then I lived in Manhattan for a little while. And I've been lots and lots of places, but I love New York the best. Almost as much as London. <laughs> <laughs> How many, um, when was the last time you was in London? Right before COVID hit, oh. actually. What it is, is I um, I like to follow Adam Ant. Yeah. You know Adam Ant? Yeah, Ant? I do indeed. You guys know who he is. I do. So every time 
okay, so every time he does a concert in the UK, I was there. Plus, I have clients there. Plus, I write for a bunch of UK magazines. So, plus, I have a lot of friends there. Wow, it's uh, there's nothing wrong with that. You know, we welcome you with open arms. Mm-hmm. So that's cool. <laughs> well, thank you. <laughs> do you um actually do you think? Because obviously, I lived in New York for a while. Do you think London and, and New York are quite similar? I do, I do. Especially, especially central London. I. I I was there and I felt like I was in Manhattan, but we don't have Camden Market. No. So we don't even have anything close to Camden Market. No. So I'm jealous. But otherwise than that, yeah, it, it is similar. It's, you know, it, it's fun. It's fun and, and New York's fun. Yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. It's crowded. There's lots of people and it, the vibe is good. It's great. Yeah, I, I agree. I think... Um... One of the stories for me, for you, when I lived in New York, I had a Sunday and I wasn't, I think, oh, what am I going to do today? And um, the, the sort of concierge on the hotel said, oh, go down to the Guggenheim Museum. You know, if you fancy doing something a bit, you know, creative or, you know, looking at something different, some artwork. And I went, OK. So I popped down and um, I just timed it on the day when it was actually they were showing the Spider-Man exhibition with all the original artwork. Um, oh, cool! And it was really cool. Batman. They had the original artwork for Batman, and never been in there before. And spent the whole day. And to be honest with you, it's one of the best days I had because it was a really cool experience. I've never been, to be honest. With you. I'd go. Yeah, it's really cool. It was a really cool day. You know, like when you live somewhere, you don't do what you consider touristy things. <laughs> yeah. I've never been to the Statue of Liberty. Have you not? <laughs> never. <laughs> and I, just recently, I was I went to the Empire State Building, but you know, not not that long ago, really. So, yeah. <laughs> I know. I, I know what you mean. I grew up in um, in a small city, a place called Canterbury in Kent, and it's sort of about fifty miles outside of London. And we have Canterbury Cathedral. So if you Google Canterbury Cathedral, it's you know quite an iconic place. It's it's steeped in history with kings and queens and all sorts of uh, people and i've sort of walked past it every day but never went to visit it really so i do know what you're saying really you, you never really <laughs> look on your doorstep you know i'm not a real tourist person anyway even when i went to london the first time i was there we went past big ben and and past you know all, all the things that you that you people do in london houses of parliament and then we went and then we went to london bridge and we were so disappointed we <laughs> like, this is it <laughs> i know i know i know it, sometimes it, it what you see on tv and then what you experience you think is, is that it exactly <laughs> we were like where is it we were, like, we were devastated but but you did have a good starbucks near he was there happy. So <laughs> i was pretty happy of course you guys don't have half and half you don't no, even know what no. it is so Mm-mm. so we had to we have to every time i go i have to you know, just kind of explain what to, what to do to mix milk with your heavy cream, and yeah. it's complicated. Yeah, mm-hmm. but that's that's how you like it. That's that's cool. There's nothing wrong with that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so going right, really back to the beginning, your literary career started within science fiction publication. Tell us a little bit. I'm intrigued about this. Tell us a little bit more about that. It did, and it was kind of by accident. I was a nursing student in Long Island University, and I used to study for organic chem by watching Star Trek, you know, the reruns. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
And then I went into Manhattan one day and discovered there was a Star Trek store. It was called the Federation Trading Post East. So I had to go in. And I, I was kind of like a fan. I had a fangirl crush on Leonard Nimoy or Spock. I'm not sure which one, but one of them. <laughs> and I met the owner and one thing led to another. And I started writing. They had a, a magazine out then called the Star Trek Giant Poster Book. So I started writing for that just because I wanted to. And then Valentine Books came to us and said, look, we really need... Um, we need the medical manual, the Star Trek medical manual. And since I went to nursing school and was the only one that had any kind of medical knowledge, I got to write it. <laughs> <laughs> and it became a bestseller. And then I wrote to Star Wars for a while. And my very first interview of any, any celebrity happened to have been Leonard Nimoy. So that was really cool. Oh, wow. I mean, that's... That's just a cool experience in itself. How was he? How did you how did mm -hmm. you find him? He was great. He was amazing. He was great. I, I wound up meeting him shortly after the interview because he was doing a play on Broadway, Equus. And he came over to me. He goes, oh, my God. He goes, I remember you in that really lengthy interview. <laughs> it lasted like an hour. <laughs> so but he was he was very cool and very charming and. And I met, got to meet his family, his mom, his dad, his brother. It, it was it was good. It was good. Wow, what an experience. I mean, that that sort of, to get your first writing experience and to do that, I mean, because Star Trek, Star Wars, I, I mean, you either like Star Wars, you like Star Trek. I like them both, really. I like I Star Wars. Star Trek. I liked it. I wrote, yeah. I wrote for a Star Wars magazine for a while as well. Oh, wow. I mean, Star Wars is just, well, they're both synonymous, really, aren't they? Mm -hmm. I mean, they're just blockbusters well they were both way ahead of their time really yeah well i remember seeing the first star wars i think it was 1978 with my auntie and one of the first films i ever saw and it just blew me away i was like wow what is this this is just so cool yeah it still is cool you know they play the reruns a lot on television and yeah. you just you have to watch yeah you do yeah you do i think um there's so much good, and especially with the streaming services now, there's so much good TV, and you can look back at some of the old movies, and, you know, back in the 90s, I've been watching a lot of those movies, and you just think, you know, some of them are just not, they're just timeless. You, you just sit back and have a beer and think, well, it's still pretty cool. Yeah, that's true. I always have the television on when I write because I, I just like the white noise. And then every once in a while, you, you come across something that's so cool, like, oh, my God, I didn't see this in so long. And and that's a lot of fun. <laughs> yeah, I, I, I could imagine. And you've also, um, as well, you've written for so many celebrities mm -hmm. and with, with interviews and you've been, you know, so many. Who's been your best and worst interview over the years? Well, my best, of course, was Adam Ant. <laughs> it took me... Yeah, I was going to say. <laughs> it took me six years to get an interview with him, and I figured... Let me go interview like a lot of really famous people and then maybe he'll say yes. And I interviewed like Diana Ross, Boy George, really like huge people, huge. And then I finally got an interview with Adam and, and he was really not just because he was Adam, but he was one of the best interviews I've ever done. And I've never had a worst interview. I've never had a bad interview in, in my entire career. Never. I, I've had some people that weren't the nicest. I, I interviewed um, uh Colin Hayes from uh, The Land Down Under, you know? Okay. And yeah, yeah. he was, he wasn't really, I, I just couldn't get that rapport with, I usually can get a rapport with someone within the first three sentences, but I just couldn't 
I just couldn't get a rapport with him. And I, I like wondered, like, what did I do wrong? So I find out the next day he had just had surgery, but he wanted to do the interview anyway. So, you know, so I forgave him. But Oh, well, that's that's fair enough. No, that's fair mm-hmm. enough. Do you um, do you have anything that like a ritual that you prepare for for an interview? Do you is there anything that you do that, that you you're I'm going to interview this person and this is what you do uh, each time? I really don't because it depends on the person. Uh, For example, you know, someone super, super famous. I don't really have to research because, I mean, they're there. (laughs) You know, everybody knows everything about them. So I don't I don't really I don't really like to research anybody before I interview them because I feel it it prejudices the interview. I prefer to uh, talk to them like we all have a conversation. And then when I write it up, I do the research. Yeah. And if they're trying yeah. to promote something, you know, pr- pretty much I just let them talk about it. But, you know, I don't, I don't have a real ritual. I I always, no matter who I interview, how big, how small, you always get that little butterfly feeling from the beginning, you know. And then once you say hello, it goes away. So, I mean, yeah. that's the only thing that, that I could say is true with every single interview that I've ever done. Yeah, I think... I. I I agree with you with that because when um, Becky and I started the podcast, we thought, well, actually, because of what we do in entertainment and we're on the on the business side, and we thought, well, actually, we want to put some of our knowledge and experience, you know, back to the community, but bring on some great guests. And, you know, I agree with you there because, you know, when you're first going to do it, you think, oh, what, what am I going to say? How is it going to come across? But to be honest with you, we love doing the podcast and it, 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 we'd never have met you. We'd never have met Sheila. And I just think it's a great community, to be honest with you. I, I do. I, and I, I love your show. It's um, entertaining. It's conversational. Um, and it's kind of refreshing because sometimes you, you get on a podcast and they have all these crazy things they want you to do. <laughs> and I, I have a PR company and I, I put a lot of clients on a lot of different podcasts. And... You know, they're all, from all walks of life. And, and and some I get report, oh, my God, that guy was great. And sometimes I get like, why did you ever? What were you thinking? So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I know. I, and I think um, I think that's one of the things that what, what we wanted to do as well is, is just have a general, a lot of the podcasts we've listened to, and we've got some great friends that do some really great podcasts and I think we just wanted to do something a little bit different. Well, just like we are now on a, on a city, having a cup of coffee and just having a chat. And um, I think it's a, personally, I think it's a good way to go forward because one, you can interact better and it's no one's under pressure. You just have a nice conversation. Mm-hmm. Really, I agree with you. That's how I do my interviews. I just have a nice conversation with whoever, you know, sometimes I'll ask a question. Sometimes people are nervous. Like Adam Ant was nervous. He really was. When I was asking him questions, he could answer them, but he was like stuttering. And then he wanted to answer them, <laughs> re-answer them because he thought of a better answer. So, I mean, yeah. no matter how big you are, you, you get nervous. And if, if people say they don't, they're lying. So <laughs> Yeah, oh, I agree. Yeah. Absolutely. Why did it take so long to get an interview with him? He does, what was it? What... I'll tell you, he doesn't really love press. And yeah. I don't think he liked the publications that I had been writing for at the time that I first contacted him. But, okay. You know, as, as the years went by, I started to write for bigger and, and, and bigger and bigger magazines. I don't want to say better because everyone's magazine is, is, you know, everyone's proud of their own little magazine or big magazine. Sure. 
But I, yeah, I started sure. to write for Huffington Post and Louder Than More. He liked Louder Than More a lot. And actually, his interview wound up going in um, Classic Pop, which uh, which is a British publication, which I, yeah. I didn't expect. Yeah. I, I didn't even know, actually. <laughs> Oh wow! It was funny. Someone called me, and, and I was in it. I was in London at the time, so I was really happy because I could buy some. They're like, "Oh my God, your your article with, with Adam came out." I'm like, "What?" <laughs> so that was kind of fun. I mean, a really interesting point from me. It'd be, be good to ask you this: Do you think the, the internet has taken over where people read, or do you think there's still a place for people to go and buy books and magazines? What, what do you? How do you feel about that? I think that people really like to hold things in their hand. The internet is great, and it does it does get everywhere. Not everybody will buy a magazine, but the people that do buy them, they get to hold them, and, and they get a kind of relationship with them almost. So yeah. I think I think that the I write I still write for several print magazines, and you know they have deadlines. I write for a weekly magazine, a weekly entertainment magazine, happens to be a gay magazine um, in New York, and it's a big one, but. People want to touch something, you, you know. It's I feel yeah. like it's less yeah. cold. So yeah. I, you know, I I hope that they continue forever and ever. No, I I actually agree with you. I've had um, <clears throat> one of my good friends years and years ago owned a big printing company in the UK, and they produced lots lots of newspapers and they did magazines as well. And um, I used to go and watch them sometimes. How they you know how they do the process and and put it all together and. It's it just amazing where you get the artwork straight to the print and then it will come out the other end and it'd be all perfect bound. It'd be glued, it'd you know, be a beautiful cover. And you think, yeah, actually, I, that, that got made and that's gone out to someone to buy. So I do agree with it. And they really took their job really seriously. They were really passionate about printing, you know, great products, really. So mm -hmm. I think it's a good thing. I think the Internet's a great thing, but I agree with you, I think. You know, going out to buy something is great. I mean, more people are going to see it on the internet. They are, but people really don't have a focus too much anymore. They don't. They you got to do something to keep their attention, and I'm not sure that the internet does. Yeah, all the no. time. No, I agree. I think it's good to have both worlds, really. Yeah, definitely. Me too. I, I think definitely. that's perfect. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I think so. Best of both worlds, I think. And with, I think with all the publication, I think you write for about fifty publications. I mean, right now I actually write for eighty-seven. <laughs> Wow, what? Where? I, I, this is the. Where do you get the time? I mean, honestly, where do you get the time? Um, you know what? I'm always writing. It doesn't. An interview takes a long time because you have to transcribe it, and the rule of thumb is for every twenty minutes, it's four hours. But I'm constantly writing. When I travel, I, I like to travel because. Matter of fact, when I travel with people, I make them sit like somewhere else on the plane, so I don't have to talk to them, and I can write. And I don't really sleep that much. So, you know, there's, there's times that you don't have the time. But, you know, there's times you're under so much pressure. There's a deadline or or you, you've done five interviews and, you know, that's going to take you the whole next week to do. So, yeah. but yeah. you can put the same interview or just change it around a little and, and put them in different publications as well. You know, as long as you don't mess with the SEOs or whatever they are. So, yeah, yeah. I mean, a lot of the stuff that I write, I just write and then I'll do a different introduction and move the questions around and, and stuff like that. So I, I I really like to write and, I'm, you know, it's 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 kind of 
like therapy in a way. Not that I need therapy because I, I love my life to death, but it's kind of like it keeps me happy. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's really good to hear because I think no matter what you're doing, whatever it is in life, no matter what you're doing, if you're happy doing it, then I think that's half the battle, to be perfectly honest with you. Totally. You know, and especially what's happened in this last year, I think everyone needs a bit of sunshine and, um, uh, you know, just a bit of light at the end of the tunnel to see, well, actually, yeah, that, that was good. So This past year, I did more writing than I've ever done in my life because everyone wanted to stay relevant. And the only thing yeah. you could do is listen, watch or read. So... <laughs> Yeah. So it was good. It was good. So do um. So like your process. Do people just get in contact with you, to, Eileen? Say I want you to write this piece for me. Do artists come to you and say, oh, I'm, I'm I want to rewrite this blog or, or my or my internet space, or is it just purely magazines and newspapers that you write for? Well, here's the deal. I have a PR company, as I said, and yep. I have the coolest clients that ever lived. Uh, I mean, I have Scott Page from Pink Floyd. I have Leland Sclough. I have, um, oh my God, I I have a bunch of British musicians. And through the clients, you become friends with them, of course. And they they become like your personal friends. And through them, you meet other people and other people and other people. And honestly, I, I don't really have to ask for an interview anymore. You know, people come to me and say, can you do this? And I, I really don't refuse too, too much of anybody. You know, if they're not talented, I, m- I might refuse them. But, you know, even the indie artists, if they're super talented, I'll, I'll do it. Everyone deserves it. And um, because of the PR company, I kind of have to do it. And my clients have to stay relevant. And they're always putting out releases or films or, or whatever they're doing. So... You know, it, it's like a no-brainer. Uh, yeah, you have yeah. to write. And, and then all the publications want content. So I don't have to pitch anything to them anymore. I don't have to say, well, I'm writing about this. Is it okay? I don't have to do that anymore, which is great. Matter of fact, I, I have my own portal for almost all the magazines that I write for. And my partner, Jimmy Starr, um, submits them into the portal because when it comes to uh, technology really 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 challenged so <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah that that's a good word that, that, that's, that's a good word so yeah be great to know a little bit more about world star pr with you and jimmy how did that come about and you know how did the relationship go and how did you sort of come to you know amass all these clients as well Eileen? well that's a very interesting story actually i was on jimmy's show and the person that put me on jimmy's show was the PR that represented Adam Ant. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I, I had written a book. So she put me on the show and we became friends like immediately. Matter of fact, they used to live in Pennsylvania, him and his husband, and they wound up coming to visit the next weekend. And then we had a falling out with this publicist. <laughs> um, actually, Jimmy did because she was putting people on his show and, and charging them a lot of money. And charging the people that I wrote, you know, she was charging her clients money if I wrote an article on them. We didn't know this, but we found out. So we decided, you know what, we have more contacts than anybody. Because he has the biggest show on on the planet, the biggest internet show on the planet. And I wrote at the time, I think for about 20 or 30 magazines. So we we had all the PR contacts and people were contacting us at that point. 
So we said, let's just let's just go real cheap um, and get a bunch of clients and continue doing what we're doing. So that's what we did. And, and we went to a lot of events, red carpet events, and we met a, a lot of famous people there. And for some reason, they liked us. So they became our clients and the fact that we were cheap and the fact that we produce, we, we produce all of our clients get to be in the press at least once or twice a week, no matter what. And it's usually more. They get to be somewhere. Wow. So, you know, word of mouth. I, we never went really looking for clients. They kind of found us. And, you know, both of us love what we do and we have fun doing it. And we love our clients. Most of them have been with us since we started. You know, it's been about five years now, and most of them are still with us. Sometimes they leave for a little while because they have nothing to promote, but they don't leave for long. You know, they come back. And uh, and we really love our clients is what it is. Like we have personal relationships with, with all of them because we do events and we invite them. So we kind of get to know them really well. I'll give you an example. During this COVID thing, Scott Page and I, Scott Page from Pink Floyd, we I, I, we probably spoke once or twice a day on FaceTime the whole year. So, I mean, you just become friends with people. And, and you know, once you're friends with people, it, it it works. It works out better. So you want to do more for them. Yeah, no, I, I, you know, there's a couple of lessons in that, Eileen. I think that's why I wanted to get you on the podcast because a couple of reasons, really, because obviously what you're doing is really, Beck and I was really intrigued at what you was doing. And also you're a female and you're a female journalist. So, mm-hmm. yeah, a couple of sort of lessons in there. And I think one of the biggest lessons you sort of said without maybe saying it is there's always someone that will go behind your back and always charge money and do something. And people always find out anyway. So you found out anyway at the end of the day. Right. So... And, and what she and what she was doing was not wrong. We didn't know about it, but I mean, what she did was not wrong. People, PR people, do that. That's what they do. We, you know, we do now. We we don't think it's fair. <laughs> you know, you're, you're paying us a fee, so you know what do you get for your fee? Well, for our fee, what we we want to earn it, like deserve it. You know, I don't want to charge yeah. people for for all kinds of different things that you know, that we're doing anyway. No, exactly. And I think also as well, you hit on another spot, which I think is, again, really important. Um, you become personal friends. So you understand how that person ticks and they understand you. And I think it just becomes a really solid relationship. And I think they're the best ones really, mm-hmm. because you get trust, um, you get continuity, you get consistency. And, you know, if you get up in the morning, you're not feeling great, then you tell them I'm not feeling great. It's as simple as that. Exactly. Exactly. Like, for example, Scott, he's not the best writer in the world. So if someone, if I get him to do an interview with someone else aside from me, he'll send it to me. He'll, he'll send me the email and he'll say, can you fix it? You know, so a lot of times I have to literally <laughs> pretend I'm Scott Page and, and write what he would say. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's uh, that's probably a bit like me actually, where I'm putting stuff together for our site or putting press releases out, and, and I give them to Becky, and she she does them for me. There you go. <laughs> actually, Jimmy does all our press releases because he thinks I write too flowery for a press release, so he he, he does those, and he can he can do them in like less than twenty minutes, you know. So yeah, 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 exactly. So someone like Scott. 
I mean, I suppose this is a question you've been asked quite a lot. Do, do you think Pink Floyd ever get back together? Would it be another album? No. Or, <laughs> no. 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 <laughs> not, not, with, not with Scott anyway. Not that they left bad, but um, I think that they don't like Roger Waters anymore. <laughs> you know, right. David Gilmore does his own thing and Scott does his own thing. And I think that they all do their own thing. Although if they ever did get back together, it would be the most fabulous thing in life. But I think it would be, it would be a pretty cool mm-hmm. <laughs> video. Yeah. It would be it would be pretty cool. You probably get that question all the time, but sometimes things run their course, do they? And people just think, no, it's wrong time, you know. Well, you know what? They're also concerned with doing their own projects, all of them. So, I, I mean, it could happen. It could, but I, I, not anywhere in the near future. Let me put it to you that way. No, no, no. But you never say never. Never, never, say. You never know. Look, this, I interviewed. Um, um, Slim Jim Phantom from the Stray Cats. And he yep. vowed, he goes, we'll never get back together. Never, ever, ever. Well, they got back together. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, they did. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. Mm-hmm. Yeah, they did. So, again, you you can never put a stamp on it and say no, because you just don't know what's around the corner. You just never know. Exactly. One of my very good friends is Fred Schneider from the B-52s. And he, he's a really good friend. Like, he's been to my house and all over the, you know, we, we hang out together. Yeah, yeah. And, it, you yeah. know, I said, are you going to go on tour? He goes, no, I'm retiring. I'm not going on tour. Well, guess what? They're going on tour in, in, in 2022. <laughs> <laughs> I actually saw them perform. I was doing a show, um, oh, quite a few years ago, 2005, maybe, four. And it was T4 on the beach with Channel 4 in the UK. Uh-huh. And it was a band called The Automatic. And they performed. The B-52s were performing. <laughs> See? There you go. Yeah. Yeah, they were on in the afternoon. And I, I saw them perform for about 20 minutes. And, um, yeah, so I can say that I've seen them perform. There you go. There you go. No, they're, they're fun. <laughs> they're, they're a fun group. And people love them. And they fill up a stadium. Yeah, it was good. Yeah. I mean, they, they, they were playing in front of... Well, um, North of five thousand people. It was a big crowd. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah, it was a big crowd. Yeah, and and I remember the sun was shining and everyone was happy, so it was good. Yeah, it was cool. Have you ever seen Adam Ant perform? No, I haven't. I was just about to say that to you. No, I haven't. No. Okay. Well, tickets go on sale tomorrow for February and March, and he's going to be at the Roundhouse. And if you want to go to the Roundhouse, I will be there and find you. <laughs> <laughs> And I guarantee you, I guarantee you, it'll be one of the best concerts you've ever seen. I've never seen him. No, I have to, I have to say to Becky because the Roundhouse is a fantastic venue. Have I you love been there it. before? Oh my god! Yeah, yeah. it's great. I, it I, really I belong to it. I'm a member of it. How's that for you? <laughs> <laughs> they invited me to a Christmas party once, and I had this. Oh my god! It was the best thing. It was wine, but it was warm. <laughs> like they heated it up. And it was so good. <laughs> wasn't um wasn't mulled wine? Was yes, it? Was it mulled wine. <laughs> yes, yeah. that's exactly yeah. what it was. Yeah. yeah, you have to be careful of that because if you have two or three glasses of that, then yeah, you you're um you're feeling quite happy. <laughs> yeah. Well, on the way back, I met the head of the board of directors, and she was walking home alone, and she had some of that wine as well. So we, yeah, yeah, we walked each other home, but I mean, yeah. <laughs> I love the Roundhouse. It's a great experience. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's a really great venue. Oh, we'll have to take you up on that. I think I'll, 
I'll tell Becky about that because Adam Ant, he's, I mean, he's pretty iconic, to be honest with you. Um, totally. He is iconic. And he's the nicest person in, on the planet, by the way. He's really, really nice. Yeah, no, he's, he's been in my life for, well, ever, really, to be honest with you. Um, and it's always good to hear that. Mm-hmm. You've interviewed him, you spoke to him, and it's always good to get that feedback that, you know, it was, it was a cool person. So, is there another album from him, do you think? Is, is that... He was supposed to put one out five years ago, but it hasn't been it hasn't been released yet. But no. when I interviewed him, which was a few years ago, he said, oh, yeah, I have one in the can, and then he made me... He made me take the question out, you know, the answer out. Um, what, when I interview people, I send them back the interview before it goes live because, you yeah. know, obviously you yeah. want them to be happy. And a lot of times when you interview people, they say things that they wish they had more. They yeah. haven't said things that they wish they had. So I give them that chance to, uh, you know, fix it. Yeah. Well, that, I mean, that's fair. And I think looking at the book you wrote, Eileen, uh, Waiting for Adam, and then you sort of cross paths with like Diana Ross, mm-hmm. Ian Warwick, Brooke Shields. Yeah. How did that happen? Did, uh, are they in the book? Did you do pieces for them as well? Well, I did. I interviewed every single one of them. Uh, matter of fact, Dion Warwick is a friend, and I write stuff for her quite often. I, I've interviewed her about I don't know, maybe six or seven times. Cindy Lauper, I've interviewed, I think, 12 times. Uh, <laughs> Diana Ross was interesting. She really doesn't really talk. <laughs> So <laughs> I interviewed her and her answers were one word, you know, answers. But she was, you know, she was still fun. Yeah, yeah. She yeah. was still fun. And, you know, I, I, I made the best of it. Annie Lennox, she was great. She was a good interview. And, um, yeah, everyone in that book I've crossed paths with and interviewed and met. And, no, that's really cool. And usually interviewed him twice or three times rick springfield he was a great interview great i interviewed yeah. him twice yeah and he actually came to me because he had read one of cindy Lauper's uh interviews and he liked it so they found me and they're like could you interview rick springfield and i i had i have a bucket list he was on it adam ant was on it and the last one is billy idol and i just I've met him many times and he's really nice, but I, I just have not gotten that interview yet. But I will. <laughs> well, Billy, and again, Billy Idol is, is just, uh, uh, he just, you know, very, very cool. And when you touched on Cindy Lauper, we got a, one of our friends and colleagues in LA, um, a drummer called Mark Hill. And Mark's a great, great guy, um, Eileen, and he's been a drummer for years. And he was Cindy Lauper's drummer for quite a while. So that's quite cool. Oh, yeah. Um, mm-hmm. Did a couple of tours with her and um, a couple of world tours, and yeah, he's, he's you know love working with her. So it's, it's a small world, as they say. So small, so small. It, it, it's just you know, I, I wanted, I needed some people to be on podcast, so I called up Scott and I said, "Go through your little black books, please, and give me all your famous contacts." And he did, <laughs> and he did. And I, I mean, now I'm, fr- I'm friends with Leland Sklar, who has played with everybody on the planet uh everyone from michael jackson to david bowie uh, to um just anyone you can name he's played with and wow. and kenny arnoff who was in smashing pumpkins and john mellencamp yeah. i mean he's, yeah. he's one of my best friends on, on the planet now you know so wow. I, I mean it's, it's such a good it's such a good feeling and i used to have 
friends call me here and there, but now everyone that calls me is some sort of a celebrity. And, and that's like so cool, you know, that, that you know, that, that you realize that they're people <laughs> and they're fun and they're different. And, yeah. you know, it's, it's just fun. Well, and the other thing to, to, to say, Alain, which I think could be quite sort of relevant in, in our chat today is, one of the other things that Becky and I are launching it is um, sort of like a mentoring program for like new artists coming through the uh, through the industry, and we not stayed away from it, but we thought, well, is it the right time to do something, especially what we do with music supervision? So it could be quite interesting to have you and maybe a couple of your clients come in, maybe when we do like a masterclass to come in and talk about, you know, how, oh, how to craft a song. That would be really cool to talk to you about that, actually. Yeah, absolutely. Someone like Scott would thrive on that. Someone like Leland, they love it. I'll be honest with you. I have this little kid doing interviews. He's 12. His name is Gabriel, and he's interviewing all these huge people. And they love him. And they love to talk to him. They love to teach him because he has a younger audience. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah they would. All of my clients would, would be right there. Yeah, no, that would be great. Because... I think that would be really good because um, I don't know. It's just nice to put something back into the community, really. I agree. I agree. Mm-hmm. And someone like you know your experience, Jimmy's experience, and and Scott's experience, it just helps. You know, an eighteen, nineteen-year-old young person coming along, thinking, "Wow, that's what they've done. Well, I can do that. Um, exactly. Or I can at least have a go." And if you're being told by people that have been there and done it, I think you get a bit more respect, don't you? You do because you know you obviously you've had the experience. So if you've had it, why can't I have it? You know why not learn from the best? Yeah, exactly, exactly. What are their secrets? You know. Yeah, and are they human? You know, exactly. Can I have a conversation with them? You know, can I ask them a question? Just normal stuff, really. Mm-hmm. Um, exactly. And I think another interesting point I want to ask you is. But becoming a journalist and obviously more of a celebrity journalist and PR, I mean, how does that career path work? How did it work for you? And is, is there a sort of a holy grail to that? Well, again, I just wanted to interview Adam Ant and I was going to do anything that I had to do to do that. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, there were, there were certain secrets that I have that, you know, everyone should use. For example... When you do an interview, send it back to the person. Let the, let them look at it. I mean, no journalist does that, really. Not too many. Let them look at it. Let them see if there's an error or something they want to change. You know, give them the chance to, to change it. And, you know, just don't ask them questions that are going to put them on the spot. I'm not a, a gossip journalist. You know, I don't, I don't care who you slept with. I really don't. Unless, unless it had to do with the song you wrote. You, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, I never write anything bad about anyone. Never, ever, ever. You will never see anything negative in anything I've ever written. And and that's a secret. People, you know, people start realizing that. You know, I, I probably could be a really rich journalist if I did that. Because these clients, these people that I've interviewed have told me things that I, I can't even believe that they told me. But you know what? They wanted someone to talk to Brooke Shields. I was on the phone with her for three hours. She didn't want an interview. She wanted a friend that day. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. And I think um, it's the trust thing as well, Eileen. I think it comes down to consistency, trust, and and just being human. I think there's so many people that just want so much information thrown into the world. Is it going to stick? And I don't care. I just want to rather know um, 
solid information about what that person's done and think, well, that was a really interesting interview. I, I, I engage with that and I don't want to be written mm-hmm. all the rubbish and I'm just not interested in that. Right. You know, everybody has a story and that's great. And some people's stories are, you know, are crazy. And I, I mean, I, I interviewed Leanne Rhymes and she was really angry at the press at the time because she had just left her husband to marry her other husband. And, you know, they trashed her. They really did. And you know what? She was a person. There was no cause for that. And she was really angry. She's like, you know, I, I, I've sold, I, I hope the Inquirer, um, you know, loves me because I've sold so many papers for them. And she went on and on. And she, she was telling me the worst, the most negative, horrible things. And I had to tell her. I said, Leanne, I'm, I, I'm not going to print this. It's not cool. It's not, it, it doesn't make you sound good. It doesn't make me sound good. And it, it, it only does what, what those people have been doing to you. You know, you don't, you don't want to trash them. They trashed you. So be the bigger person. And she actually listened to me. So, you know, you just have to be positive and, and just, there's enough bad in the world to write about. There's enough bad in the world that you don't have to write about. It's there. You know, it's right in front of your face. Yeah, yeah. So. You don't have to tell people. No. Yeah. Huh? Exactly. No, no. And like like you said, even even chatting with Diana Ross, it was one word answered, but it's still a cool interview. You still got something out of it. And, you know, and there's nothing wrong with that. And I think it comes down to the person that you are as well. I think if you interact with people well and they trust you, then I think that's half the battle, to be honest with you. I agree. I agree. I've gotten so many interviews from people, from, from Scott even. I hate to keep bringing him up, but I mean, he told all his friends, oh my God, you got to talk to her. She's great. And that, that was great because they listened to him. And, yeah. Yeah. you know, I always, I always tease him. I said, I'm so glad I stole all your friends. He, you know, it's funny. He laughs. <laughs>, <laughs> but he's, he's brilliant. Leland's brilliant. Kenny's brilliant. They're all, they're all teachers. They're all frustrated teachers. They want to teach. They want to pass on what they know. They really, really do. Yeah, and they're, they're <clears throat> like you say, there's, there's there's not many people in the world like that that actually want to really give back. And I think if, if you can embrace that, and it's something we will certainly do, because I think, you know, depending on what we roll out with our mentoring courses, I think it would just be phenomenal to have those types of people come and just speak and you know, hear their story. Exactly. But you know what? I think that there are more people that want to do it than you think. Because I, I'm thinking of all my clients and there's not one in the bunch that wouldn't jump at the chance to help somebody, to help someone younger, to help someone, to, you know, even if they do it in a bragging way, they still want to share their information. Yeah. So I, I think that I think that people want to do it. I just don't think they have the, they get the opportunity. Well, that's cool. That's really good to hear. No, that is good to hear. Um, mm-hmm. uh, definitely. And I think the more we help the community, then better really um yeah absolutely now looking at looking at failure what's been your biggest failure and what did you learn from that experience you know what if if you don't try something there are no possibilities and i don't consider anything i've ever done a failure you know if i learned from it it was positive i never the only failure I, I can think of is I have not yet interviewed Billy Idol. <laughs> I think <laughs> what I'm going to. <laughs> I really am. So I never had a failure. I, I don't think I've ever failed in anything. You know, I get, 
I can't look at it. I've never not gotten what, you know what? I believe in the law of attraction and the secret. I don't know if you know about it, but the secret is a cool book. And that's how I live my life. So there's no room in my life to fail. It's just not, it's just not going to happen because I'm just not going to let it. No. No. So, no, I've never really had any failures, never. Apart from Billy Idol, but that's going to happen anyway, so there you go. Exactly, and I've met him, I've met him many times, I have pictures with him and everything. A matter of fact, I just recently interviewed Steve Stevens, his guitarist, who, yep. the weird, it was the weirdest thing. He, um, I represent Steve Perkins from Jane's Addiction, and yep. he yep. formed a group called um, Halloween Jack, and they put out a tribute to... Um, with one of the guys that died from the New York Dolls, who I've also interviewed, by the way. And, yeah, yeah, and yeah. so they put out this tribute song, and he, he texted me on a Sunday night, and he goes, Eileen, we're releasing this tomorrow. Can you give me some press? I said, are you out of your mind? I said, even if I wrote something up tonight, not coming out tomorrow, wait wait till the end of the week, and I'll get you a bunch of press. So he listened to me. Yeah. And the people in the band were Gilby Clark from Guns N' Roses, who I've met, a very nice guy, and Daniel Shulman from Garbage, and Steve yep. Stevens. Yep. So I interviewed, I said, let me just, you know, talk to all of you for a minute, see, you know, about the tribute, see, see why you did it. So I, I spoke to Steve, and then an hour later, um, Daniel called randomly without an appointment, just called. You know, and then, and then an hour later, Gilby Clark called, no point. You know, usually I have an appointment set. I mean, I have a recording device that I have to put on at least that, you know. <laughs> it, it's nice to, to at least have like, you know, 10 minutes notice to formulate what you might want to ask somebody. And, and yeah. then Steve yeah. Stevens called and I was like, oh my God, this is so close to Billy Idol. I met him too. But it was, it was cool because they all just randomly called. You know, that day, because, you know, I guess they wanted some press. Exactly. So that, that, was, that was one of the coolest experiences I ever had. Interviews with that. It was kind of like, your friends are calling, can you do me a favor? So that, that was really yeah. cool. Yeah, yeah. Do you, um, do you sort of get up in the morning sometimes and have to pinch yourself to think, is there anything else that, you know, that you want to do? Always. You know, always. I'm like, you know, it's... This is, you know, Jimmy and I, we, every day of our lives, we're like, this is so cool. And, you know, we're not, we're not really all, I, well, that starstruck. I, I like the three I mentioned. Uh, when it comes to them, yes, I'm starstruck. But, I mean, I wasn't starstruck to interview Diana Ross or, or Lloyd George or, or you know, uh, most of the people. Uh, you know, it, it was a great thing to interview them, but I wasn't like, oh, my God, I have to have this interview. So, but yeah, I mean, every time some, every time um, Kenny Arnoff texts me, it's just a cool feeling. It's a cool feeling because I mean, he's he's one of the top five drummers on the planet. So yeah, yeah. I, yeah. you know, to, yeah. to have that kind of talent yeah. talk to you and and joke with you about things that you wouldn't even believe he jokes about. <laughs> then yeah, mm -hmm. exactly. No, no, no. Absolutely. I love my life. I told you that before. I just love my life. <laughs> That's what I mean. Get COVID <laughs> out of the way and let's move on. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So what, um, is there anything about entertainment that you you would change? Any one thing that you would change in entertainment today? What would it be? Yeah, I'd probably get rid of Spotify so that um, 
or, or make Spotify pay the artists more money, I would probably go back to uh, the old way, you know, the, the, the way music was done in the 80s. I would love MTV to come back like it used to be. Yeah, I agree. I just think these artists, there's so many good ones out there who will never be heard. And I just think that somehow, somewhere, they should, they should have the chance. So, yeah, I, I might change it a little bit. I might change that part of it. I, I don't, I, I see that. I don't disagree with that. And I, I suppose as well with some of the clients you look after, there's... Um, New technology frustrate them? Are they still album people? Want to put an album and a CD? Is the technology annoy them? Sometimes, but most most of them are pretty. I mean, they had to adjust. We all had to adjust. Yeah. If you would have told me, yeah. you know, a year and a half ago that you would be talking to people on Zoom every day, I'd be like, "What the hell is Zoom?" So yeah, I mean, <laughs> we all we all adjusted. And during this COVID thing, it was a, a very creative and technological time. You had to be creative. You had to do things that you would never have done. You couldn't go see live concerts. And these no. people needed to be relevant. So yeah, I mean, I mean, honestly, Jimmy and I always joke, we, we think that we, that we blame COVID on us because, you know, we always used to say, if just someone could lock us away for 24 hours or 48 hours and not bother us, and let us do our thing, let us write, let us be creative. And then all of a sudden, we were locked away. So we always, you know, laugh and say, oh my God, was it our fault? Because we wished it, you know? <laughs> so, <laughs> but, you know, most of them are, are pretty technical. You know, Fred from B-52s, he's terrible. He, he doesn't even know how to turn on his computer. But, you know, he's he's a character. He's, he's a real character. So... Exactly. You know, and, and he, whatever it is that he does, he does it right. He just won't. Yeah. You know, he he won't zoom. He'll he'll go. He'll do a phone interview. But you know, he never refuses that. But I, matter of fact, we had a Christmas show, and it was a, char- a show for charity. And the other was I had all my clients on it. I had uh, Rick Wakeman from Yes. He's a good friend. I had um, really cool icons on it. And I wanted Fred to be on it. So he lives near me on Long Island and he came to my house. Yeah. And the yeah. only way to get him on was to have him there and do it, you know, with him. So, yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, it's affected them, but not all of them. Some of them, you know, it's, it's helped. Scott, Scott Page is a technologist. He, he loved it. He loves all the things that happen, you know, tech, technologically wise. So. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I mean. I think everybody's different, aren't they? And everyone sort of adapts to what they like, really, I suppose. Well, you know what? The world got got smaller and we all we all had to fit. We all had to, to fit inside it. So we did what we had to do. <laughs> exactly. It, no, exactly. And this is one thing I wanted to ask you. I think I think this is gonna be quite easy for you on this question. Um you can go out to dinner, okay, and you can choose three people. And I think I know one of them is going to be, maybe two, but who would, who would you choose? I would, of course, choose Adam. <laughs> yeah. I don't know if I would choose Billy because I don't know him well enough yet. I would choose Scott. Yeah. And I would probably choose my client, Howard Bloom. And the reason I would choose okay. him is because, number one, he's the smartest man on the planet. Number two, he was yeah. the biggest PR person on the planet. He... he he actually represented most of the people I've interviewed. 
and you know, <laughs> and he was, and he's a scientist, and he became a big PR person by accident. And I've met him, and I, you know, we we talk at least once or twice a week. So I think it would be him, him, Scott, and Adam. <laughs> wow. What would okay? So what would um go a little bit further? What sort of dinner would you have? What would you serve? Oh wait, you didn't say I had to cook it, honey. <laughs> Listen, I have nails. Okay, I don't. <laughs> okay, they can bring. They can bring. They can bring takeout, or you can go to a nice restaurant. There you go. <laughs> I, I, think we, I think we would go to some kind of Japanese restaurant, so we could all have hot sake. <laughs> yeah, okay. <laughs> but that would be a great evening, though. The conversation, I think, would be pretty cool. Peter, I it think would be- that that could happen, and you want to come with us. We'll let you and, and Becky come with us. How's that? And we'll do it in London. That'd be great. <laughs> that'd be great. When you when you come to London and that be our guest, that'd be fantastic. There you go. And I know every restaurant in London too. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. Well, that, that that's cool. No, that's cool. And really, what's what, what's next for the year ahead for you? What what are you looking forward to doing? Any new plans? Um, pretty, pretty much, I'm going to try to be Billy Idol. But we have a lot of we have a lot of very big events coming up. Uh, Jimmy and I also we also orchestrate red carpets for our clients, and we just had one in LA, a huge one. Uh, designer Suwan asked us to do it. She's a client. Yeah. We, we went. We went up making it a rock and roll show. We had oh, wow. the Hollywood Vampires there. We had uh, uh, the Cult. Testament. We had someone from everybody there. Leland came, and he never comes to these things. Yeah, yeah. Um, Scott did the after party. Actually, we had um, Ron Moss from Player. I mean, we had the artist musicians, the artist combination of musicians, and they had a huge jam at the end of the night. It was, it was huge. It was big. So I, I want to do a couple more of those. I have a client named Soho Johnny who does a lot of charity things and, and we already have plans through our we went to our calendar this morning and we already have plans through October, you know, different events and, and different tours that we're gonna, you know, try and be part of and try and PR. We have a festival in, in August on Long Island with um oh God. Uh, I know that Paul Simon's gonna show up and I shouldn't say that because it's supposed to be a secret. But the Marshall Tucker band are gonna, you know, star in that one. And yeah, we have you know we have things going, and we want to just keep them going. You know, I just got a new client, um, big rapper, um, uh, Molly Mall, and then he, and he got into some trouble in Las Vegas, and we're trying to get him out of it now. But you know, he, he's like a super, super kind, nice person, and he wants to start. Giving. All of our clients want to give back. They all have their own charities they all have their own well let's do this for somebody which is great because they all feel the need to give back because you know they've made it yeah. and and yeah. they they want to give back so you know that hopefully we'll continue to do that and my partner jimmy produces movies so we're into that as well so you know and i i plan to just keep collecting magazines to write for <laughs> when i get to 100 <laughs> i might stop but we'll see <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's going to be a busy year ahead there no, that's safe to say very busy very busy this year and next year yeah well that's good no that, that's really good to good but to i hear. will be in the uk definitely the beginning of next year so 
Well, that's def that's a definite date. Definite date. I'm gonna tell Becky, and um, that that's got to happen. And um, last of all, I could talk to you all day, Arlene. But last of all, where can our listeners find out more about you? Connect with you online. What can they do? I have a website, and it's um, Eileen Shapiro dot rocks. I am on Facebook as Eileen Shapiro. I'm on Twitter as Eileen Shapiro three. And Instagram as Eileen Shapiro3. So, yeah. Fantastic. Well, it's been an absolute pleasure today, Eileen. Thank you very much for joining us on the Entertainment Engine. Oh, thank you for having me again. And now it's that time again this week. It's over to Bex for the question of the day. Let's have a quick recap onto last week's question. The US sitcom Fraser from 1993 to 2004 is a spin-off series from which popular comedy? And the answer is... The TV series Cheers. We want to give a big thank you to everyone who sent in their answers to us this week. We pulled one name out of a hat and we want to give a big shout out to Anna from Seattle who got the answer correct. I'll be back to you next week with more fun facts and a question of the day. Well, that's all for today's episode of The Entertainment Engine. And thanks for listening. Join us again next week for more great guest interviews from the world of entertainment. Plus, we will have our question of the day and music and movie facts for our listeners. It would be great to have your feedback on the show. So please drop us a message at any time. We would love to hear from you. So make sure you subscribe to the podcast on your favourite podcast platforms so you never miss an episode. Thanks for listening to the show. And remember to all stay safe. The Entertainment Engine.